so great. Well, this is a wonderful season in, uh, that we're living in, and I want to thank you so much for your support for us uh, during this season. It's an amazing time when uh, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is so big. I hope that's not old news to you. I hope it's not. I want to talk a little bit about that and just maybe elaborate a little bit. I'm calling it the final examination. When Jesus went into Jerusalem on that uh, Sunday, it was the 10th of, of Abib, um, or it was later called Nisan, and uh, he came into Jerusalem that day. He knew it was his last uh, week on earth. He came in to be inspected or examined by the Jewish leadership, and he had to be examined as a an unblemished lamb, an unblemished sacrifice. And of course, you, you know the story. I'll, I'll get a little bit, give you some information, and then we'll come back and maybe not tonight, if not tonight, one other night, and we'll uh, elaborate a little bit on it. But he came into Jerusalem, and, and he was found to be perfect. He was, he was not blemished. And we're going to deal with a little bit of that tonight. Um, my, mes my message title is The Final Examination, Part 2. And we're going to talk about questions, the question of Jesus' authority, the questions uh, the question, rather, of Jesus' authority. And uh, we'll try to develop that a little bit because what you'll find as, uh, to give you a little peek into the future here, uh, the, uh, the Jewish eldership, the Sanhedrin, did not uh, give him what was due, but the, the disciples explained it in such a way that you and I know that Jesus was unblemished. But it took a Gentile leader, Pilate, to say, I find no fault in him. He said it, I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. And uh, he was used to examining people. He says, there's nothing wrong with this man. Uh, there's no reason for his death. And so we want to look at that. Let's look at uh, Matthew um, chapter 21. And we will begin in verse number 23. Uh, it's the question of, who gave him this authority. It says, Now when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said. It's like they interrupted him. And they said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus had cleansed the temple. He, had, he drove out those who were doing things that they should not be doing in the temple. They had made God's house, the temple, a house of merchandise. And so he said, uh, he had cleansed the temple, uh, removed them from it, threw things over, and got out. So in a sense, in a real sense, Jesus was removing leaven from God's house because it was Passover. It was now the time for the true fulfillment of why he came into the world. And so he, they, Jesus, in verse 24, said, But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing. I, the, you have to really appreciate the way that Jesus handled opposition. Uh, he, he handled opposition in an amazing way. Peter tells us that Jesus, when he was reviled, never reviled in return. So I've heard it said that Jesus gave a smart mouth answer. It's not accurate at all. You know, but Jesus is using the authority that God gave him, and you and I should use the authority God gives us. He said, I also will ask you one thing, which 
if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. And so Jesus used his authority to say, I, 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 will, I also will ask you one thing, which if you will tell me, if you will answer my question, I will answer your question. He says, the baptism of John, where was it from? And what that did now, it, it put them, as it were, on the spot. They had to tell the truth. It was either from heaven or it was not. And so he says, the baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And if you will answer that, I will tell you how I got my authority and who gave it to me. So the Bible says, and they reason among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? Which here implies that they knew that John the Baptist was, was the real deal, that he was a prophet. All the people thought he was a prophet. Now, in some manner, they knew that. Now, listen to what they're saying. But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, we do not know. They lied. We do not know. And he said to them, neither. Now, notice the answer. Which is the answer implies that he knew uh, their, what we would call subterfuge. That they had fixed something uh, to hide their, their lies, to hide their cunning. They had so fixed a little, as it were, words to do that. And so Jesus said, um, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And so, but Jesus was, was not telling them, as it were, verbally, but the scripture shows us something in John uh, chapter 1, verse 29. And this is what the Pharisees, the Sadducees, were not willing to say. And this is all proof of Jesus' uh, uh, messiahship, that he was the messiah. In John chapter 1, verse 29, this is uh, uh, John the Apostles writing about John the Baptist. It says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, now this is John. So Jesus has asked them the baptism of John, where did it come from? Where did John's ministry come from? And this is what John said. The next day, uh, Jesus, uh, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained on him. This is John's testimony of Jesus. He, the Spirit remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me. Now, he's saying, John is saying that his authority had come from above. He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified. John's testimony. He is testifying before God. He is, as it were, in, in God's court. And he says, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. 
And so this is why Jesus asked them the baptism of John. Where was it from? So they knew these things. They had sent representatives to John's uh, uh, revivals, as it were. They had sent representatives to report back to them. They knew these things, but they did not want to admit it. And there's a reason for that and we'll, as we continue. Uh, in, in verse 28, Jesus now goes on to answer them. Remember, now, everything that we're sharing now comes from the fact that Jesus asked them, they had asked him, by whose authority are you doing these things? Where did you get your authority? And so Jesus now is, is amplifying on that, on that question. Verse 28, he says, but what do you think? A man had two sons. So this is the parable of the two sons. And Jesus gives them a parable. He talks to them in parables. A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. In vineyard. Now, Israel was considered God's vineyard. All of the Jewish people knew that. And those of us who are Christian today, we know that. Israel was God's vineyard. And he says, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterwards, he regretted it and went. Now, when we stop at verse 20, 28, what the son said, I'm not going. And we know we have been like that. God, we, we were born into this world. We didn't want God. We wanted to do our own thing. And some of us still struggle with that. He says, I won't go. But afterwards, he regretted. He said, wait a minute, this is wrong. Something's wrong. Life is not meant to be this way. I'm going to do what, what I promised my father I would do. He says, then he came to the second the second son, and said likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Jesus says, which of the two did the will of his, of his father? They said to him, the first. So they were ready to answer. The first did the will. We know, even, even though he initially refused, but the son re regretted it and went and did the will of the father. So they said, the first. So Jesus answered to them. This is very powerful, very uh, pointed uh, reply that Jesus gives to them. And all of this is relatable to where we are today. He said, assuredly, I say to you, and, and we know that this assuredly or verily, verily, or amen, amen. But he, Jesus is saying truly, without any doubt, I'm saying this. Tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. Now, can you imagine Tax collectors, they were the people who had sold out the Jewish people and were working for Rome. They were like working for the enemy. He said, those who are working for the enemy are going to, to the kingdom of, into the kingdom of God before you. He said, and prostitutes, very loose people, people who are immoral, they're going to go before you religious people. I think as it was, so it is now. And so, and then Jesus explains, he amplifies, this is the parable of the two sons. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. Now, these were supposed to be keepers of the oracles of God. They were keepers of the oracles of God. They were keepers of the law. They, they were entrusted with the law of God. So John came to them in the way of righteousness. He says, and you did not believe him. How is it that we who are righteous don't recognize righteousness? This is what we have to ask ourselves. So as this was written, we have to examine this today. But Jesus goes on to say, but tax collectors and harlots believed him. The worst of society believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. When you saw that those 
immoral people, those people who had sold out their own nation, those people who had turned their backs on God, were now running, asking, what must I do to be saved? Repenting of their sins, being baptized, you didn't change. And so Jesus is, is like building up to something. Then he gives them another parable, a parable of the landowner in Matthew 21, beginning in verse 33. He says, he says hear another parable. Now, they knew Jesus was talking about them in a rugged way. He says, there was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower and leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. So here in the scriptures, we're seeing that the landowner is God. He's God the Father. And the landowner planted a vineyard. So that means that God took some time to work the land, as it were, and uh, plant a, a wonderful vineyard. A, he he uh, put a hedge about it. He dug a wine press in it. He built a tower. And then he leased it to vine dressers or farmers and, and went into a far country. Now when vintage time uh, drew near or when it was time for the fruit to come, when vintage time uh, uh, drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers or the farmers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. So what, what Jesus is showing was their evil intent. And even today, there are people who seem to think that God's church belongs to them. You're God's people. You're God's property. And all we're, we're supposed to be helping to bring forth fruit. We don't own anyone. But these people acted as though they owned owned the vineyard, or, or, or they knew who owned it, but they acted as though they owned it. And there are, are men, supposedly men of God, who do the same today. Let's look at this. Again, again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. So what Jesus is, is referencing uh, Israel's history, how God continued to send um, uh, prophets, and, and wise men continually, continually telling Israel uh, of their sin, but they did the same thing. They always repudiated the righteous one, and they courted the ones who were deceivers. He says, then last of all, in verse 37, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. This is a wonderful parable showing what God had done. He says, but when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come. Let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. So Jesus was, was speaking uh, forward, speaking about what was going to happen. But Jesus is saying here, they recognized that he was different than all who had ever preceded him. And they said, wait a minute, this man is different. Let's kill him. It's premeditated, as it were premeditated. Now, now notice, notice, notice what they did. They took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. So what this implies, or, or it actually more than, more than just implies it, it's really a prophetic statement as to what would happen. So what Israel did, what those, the Sanhedrin did, they, they crucified Jesus outside the gate. They were saying, you're not worthy to die inside the city. You are dying the death of a criminal. And this is the same way uh, in the Old Testament, when, the, when the, 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 the sin offering 
was killed outside, and his ashes was killed outside the gate, and his ashes were burned there. And the, but the blood was was effective in the holy of holies. And here in, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12, it says, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Outside the gate. Now verse 40 says, Therefore when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? So Jesus asked them a question. <laughs> this is what they said. They said to him, He will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And this comes from the Messianic uh, Psalm 118. He says, have you read that in the scriptures, that the stone which the builders rejected? The, the, the prophet David, or in uh, the Psalms, the Psalms rather, had foretold what was going to happen, and they were fulfilling it right there at that moment. And then Jesus pronounces a judgment on that generation. He pronounces a judgment on that generation. I would like to say this is not just a nice little story. This is what it talks about. But what happened then is happening now. What, what happened then, I see it right now. And he says, therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you. The kingdom of God will be taken from you. It would be taken from that generation. I don't think it's taken from Israel, as it were, but I do believe it is taken from that generation. The reason I said it's not taken from Israel, because there's a remnant. Amen. There is a remnant. And, 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 and so he says it's going to be given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. It's going to be taken from you and given to a nation. Now, when you get into things like this, there's always somebody who has another view of it. But I will tell you what I believe and, and what I believe God has revealed to me. And for a number of years, many decades actually, I have believed that, that Jesus is speaking of the church. I believe he is speaking of the church is going to bring forth uh, the uh, fruit that God wants, and that is the fruit of righteousness. He is bringing forth the fruit that God demands, that God requires from his vineyard. And he says, Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And so Peter tells us that you and I are that holy nation of people. So Peter tells us that, that we are royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. That we're God's own people. So this is what I believe is going on right here. I believe that he is saying that the church will bring forth the fruits of righteousness. I believe so. And, they, and, and God's people will continue. When Jesus says in, in um, Matthew chapter 16, upon, to Peter's uh, answer, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I don't think that was just some interim thing that he did until uh, later on when he comes back. I, I don't think it was just uh, killing time. I believe that, that we are to do what God has given us to do. That he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, I will build my ecclesia. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail. So that means that whatever the enemy brings against you, that will not prevail. Those of us who have lived for a long time, we lived in Jesus I, uh, for a good number of years, maybe five years, 10 years, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years or more, 60 years, whatever that number is for you. Uh, you have lived a while. You know right now, experientially, that no weapon that has been forged against you has prospered. You are still on your journey. 
You're, and so this is what that looks like. So he was bringing what Jesus wants. He says, I'm going to build my church. And so he builds his church so that the church brings what he wants to. We do, we do the will of God. We advance the kingdom of God. And the Holy Spirit is in the world working uh, his righteousness now, convicting the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He does that through the body of, of Christ, the believers in the earth. And so he says, and whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now, when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parable, they perceived that he was speaking of them. He's talking about us. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. And what they did here, you find uh, it is strongly, strongly suggested that they really knew in a diabolical way that he was the Messiah, but, but they would not repent. They would not relent. So he tells, he gives another parable. This is the last in this section. And he's talking about um, who gave you this authority. And so in, in, this, in this one, he is showing us that, that the kingdom of God will be taken away from that nation or from that generation. And they're going to be, they're going to be given to a, another nation. We are that nation. I believe we are that nation. And if you have proof that we're not that nation, you should talk to me about it. So now this is the last parable in, uh, in answering that question uh, about his authority. Let's look at Matthew 22. Matthew 22, uh, verse 1. Let's start there. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king. It is compared. It is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent him and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Now notice this. So, so the kingdom of heaven is, is, um, is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. Um, he's speaking of Jesus. Jesus, this parable really refers to Jesus. And sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, but they were not willing to come. And we, we find this appalling, don't we? We think, what? God invited you and you didn't come where for a long time we didn't. And some of us still, we, we sort of, we still shuffle a little bit. There's some of us, we only go, go when we feel like it, when we want to. We go when things are going our way, but we, we don't want to go really. We don't want to go to that, that uh, wedding. You know, we were, we were saying, I don't want to go to the wedding. I want to do my own thing. And so he says they were not willing to come. Now you see the, the heart of God in verse 4, he says, again, he sent out other servants, saying, tell those who are invited. You know, it, the scripture says that it pleased God by the foolishness of the message preached to save some. So, do you ever wonder why it takes preaching for us? You know, it takes preaching to bring us. It takes preaching to keep us. You know, people shouting and talking, telling us about what God wants for us and what God has for us. We'll go out, well, I got fueled up today. And we'll go out and we'll be okay, maybe till the end of the week. But he says, he, he sends them out again. Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. And so, so that's what happens when God sends out prophets and righteous people 
and pastors and teachers, evangelists and so forth. He sends them out to say to people, come on, the wedding is ready and uh, you need to come, you need to come. Some would say this is only speaking of Israel. I think it's speaking of all of us. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. In other words, they did their own thing. They were doing their own thing. And they just kept doing what was normal for them. And this is why we have said to you that maybe what is so normal is not what we ought to be searching for. You know, maybe that's not. Because they were doing what was normal. They, they kept doing their, their farm thing. They kept doing their business thing. In other words, they served their own interests. They were serving their own interests. Now, I told you the story years ago when, when I came to the Lord. I was so gung-ho. I came back to the Lord. I was so gung-ho and so sorry for my, my, my ignorance and whatever those things I'd done. And some old guy in the church um, was, um, said, young man, you don't have to do all this. It doesn't take all this. Go out and have yourself some fun. God understands that. What? Really? God put his uh, son on the cross, as it were, for us? And God understands me continuing in sin when, when my sin caused, as it were, the death of his son? And so this is what I believe is involved here. So I think we should take these things, these scriptures more seriously and our walk with the Lord more seriously. So let's look at it. So verse 6 says, and the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. So what Jesus now is speaking prophetically, what Jesus, they had rejected Jesus. They rejected Jesus. And so now the, the people were rejecting Jesus. And then in, in, in the next uh, 40 years, uh, you have the ministry of the apostles and the prophets, and the New Testament prophets and uh, you have all of this going on, and um, uh, the, the Holy Spirit is moving mightily in people. It's moving mightily. There are great signs and wonders. You know, uh, the apostle Peter walked by people, and a shadow was healed. Paul, uh, a young man, fell down from a loft, I think three stories down. He was dead, and Paul got on him and breathed on him and breathed on him. And he, the kid got up, Eutychus got up, and, and he was healed. And Peter raised Dorcas from the dead. They were doing all kinds of mighty miracles. So the Holy Spirit was still pleading with people, and they still wouldn't come. So, so Jesus says what's going to happen. The king uh, heard about it. He was furious, sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. And so judgment came to uh, Jude, uh, Jerusalem and Israel in 70 A.D., when, um, when uh, uh, Titus destroyed Jerusalem, uh, destroyed their temple, and burned the city. And most of the people in Jerusalem were, were killed during that time. So this came true. So when, when we today, this, it, it, to me, it, it makes not much sense to argue as to whether uh, uh, we um, are living in a particular day when Jesus is just going to come, well, we're going to go back to heaven, and then everything is going to be wonderful for us, and then everybody on the earth, you know, maybe a billion people go to, are, are missing on the planet, but everything is just normal. I don't see that. It will never be normal again. It says, um, then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all 
whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. So uh, here again, Jesus is speaking of what we can expect. Verse 11 says, but when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then he says, for many are called, but few are chosen. And what he's saying is that, that we're living in an era where he is inviting so many, so many. Everybody, the invitation is going out to, into all the world. Many are called or many are invited. Few are chosen. Few are chosen. Few are chosen. And I believe that you're the chosen. You're the chosen today. And what we want to do with this is What we want to do is look at, at these scriptures and recognize that when Jesus talked to them as he did in these three parables, there was nothing they could say. There was nothing they could answer. They could not answer. They could not combat, as it were, or counter the wisdom. Uh, whenever he would say something, there was no uh, uh, logical rebuttal for anything he said. They had to accept the fact that this man has spoken like no other man has ever spoken. And you and I must also take to heart these words and walk in the truth of God. Amen? I'll be back in a minute, Brother James.